And I said to the, the nice priest who, he's a good priest, he had heard my confession so many times, I was so grateful to him. I said, I'm so sorry. And he looked at me and he said, Jesus dealt with a whole lot more than that. <laughs> and that's the perspective. I mean, that's how you keep from feeling like a victim, you know? Welcome to Le Bon Vie, the John Paul the Great Academy podcast for the John Paul the Great Academy people. I'm Deacon Adam Conk, joined as always by Mr. Kyle Alvarado. Hello, sir. Hello, good Deacon. How are you doing today? Well, I'm just very happy because we have a very special guest joining us in the room today. We do indeed, and we have a very special guest and a bigger room. Yes. Last <laughs> time we had a guest... Uh, little room. Little you were in room. a closet? Mm-hmm. Practice. Yeah, I'm sorry. So, and it wasn't Narnia though. Big room. <laughs> I <laughs> figured it wasn't. Happy to you introduce. You would have called it a wardrobe. <laughs> happy to introduce Catherine Lopez. Hello, Catherine. Great to be with you. Thank you. Yes, great to be exciting. at John Paul II. Great, John Paul the Great. So you guys are confident enough to call him the Great. The yes. rest of the world out here just calls him John Paul II. No. We'll, so I, I'm inspired by your confidence and your boldness. We'll put that sticker on him, the Great, happily. Yeah. Yes, or a magnet <laughs> like most of the parent cars here have. <laughs> That's well, right. Peggy Noonan wrote a book called John Paul the Great, too, um, Pulitzer Prize winning, so you're, you're in good company. Awesome. Well, Catherine, uh, you're in town, of course, because this past weekend we had a great event for Friends of JPG where you spoke to us about so many great ideas um, that we're going to be touching on today in this podcast. But before we get into those ideas, I'd love to hear about you. So can you tell us about where you're from, um, the work that you do, and how you got into it? Sure. I'm from New York City. I was born in Manhattan, and uh, I work for a magazine called National Review. Um, I'm a writer and an editor and do some public speaking and media, talk a lot about the Catholic faith and the public square and and um, I also, my, my parents were school principals, Catholic school principals, teachers and then principals. And my sister is a Catholic school uh, principal in New York City right now. They're all in New York City. And so I have a great appreciation for Catholic education, both what goes right and what goes wrong. <laughs> and, um, and I do get around to a lot of Catholic schools. And I have to say, I've never seen anything like this school. You have a, a 24-7 perpetual adoration chapel. You parents who man that, that is the greatest witness you can give your children. And obviously you're going to the source, you know, for, for wisdom and, and, and um, yeah, your fuel for life. So I find that amazing. And to have any Catholic institution that's based on prayer in that way, you know, you're doing the Lord's work. And I, I talked to some of the students on, on Friday, and your students had great questions. It shows... Um, both the the education they're getting here and at home, and um, I have to say, especially the middle schoolers had had some awesome questions I didn't expect. Really, 
mature questions. And, and so anyway, I'm just really excited to be here to know that you exist. And I'm going to be <laughs> praying for you all because you parents have made an, an incredible choice. And the, the staff just, I've seen the love in the hallways and all. It's just a great place to be. Very encouraging to see. So I hope you're encouraged to hear how, how grateful I am to, to have met some of you. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's easy to take things for granted because, you know, we get to enjoy this this every day. And I'm always struck with the Adoration Chapel that if I ever get to go there during the day, which is great. I mean, how many people can take five minutes off of work and just go spend time with the Lord? I'm never alone. There's always students or mm. other faculty there, too, as well as the, the community around here that, that staffs the 24-hour Adoration Chapel all week. It's just amazing, um, you know, sharing the Lord, the love of the Lord, and yeah, it's easy to take that for granted. So it's a blessing to hear, you know, someone coming in from the outside, their perspective on it. Well, let me give you a little specific comparison. In all of the Archdiocese of New York, which spans um, New York City and, and a whole bunch of other places and in New York, we do not have a perpetual adoration chapel. Now, there's a, oh, a priest... In the entire dice, archdiocese? In the archdiocese, yes. Currently, we have none. And we definitely... And so one caveat I'll say, in non-COVID times, during the day, there are a number of um, churches in Midtown that do have hours of adoration. But there's nothing perpetual. And now there's a Dominican priest at St. Joseph's in Greenwich Village, of all places, um, who who has a plan and is about to start one. And we're hoping in the next year that'll that'll exist, and that'll be a tremendous blessing. Awesome, but, yeah. But you have one in your school, and we don't have one in New York City. Wow, <laughs> so that yeah. just give you a little example. So please pray more because we're not doing it right now <laughs> to the degree that we should be. And you, you would think it would be easy, though, for perpetual adoration because the city never sleeps, right? That's what they say. That's what they say. But then you have security issues, and if you don't have the mm-hmm. staff to man it, and, and this this one is going to have a code, and, and so I, I think it'll be fine, and security cameras and all the rest. But, yeah, no, that is a real concern if you don't have the staff to, to, to make sure that it's safe. And you don't you don't have a guarantee, too, um, that, that people will sign up. I mean, people are so... Um, so dispersed in in the New York area. So it's not like you necessarily have the people who are going to your church on Sunday or on a daily basis. They may not actually live around the church. So um, there are a lot of challenges. Hmm. Well, maybe our listeners, when we go into our chapel, we could pray for Greenwich Village to work out, right? And the chapel to get going. And that we have more of that. It shouldn't just be that one. Yeah. Thanks for the prayers. (laughs) Your city needs it, believe me. (laughs) Yeah, going to have to write that down in the intentions in there. There you go. Thank you. (laughs) So you mentioned you have several family members very active in Catholic education, um, but you are not. And so I'd love to hear your discernment about, like, your own calling. Sure. And kind of discerning the work God has had for you to do from a, um, you know, discernment perspective and Mm -hmm. what that journey was like. Well, as I was telling some of the students, God made very clear to me when I was in school what I was good at and what I was not good at. (laughs) And so I know Kyle teaches math. I was not good at math, but I also didn't have a good teacher like Kyle. So so your students are blessed. I'm only good because I make them do the real work. (laughs) I just sit back and critique. That's why you're so (laughs) well-rested. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> nice way to work. And he gets paid. <laughs> Festina Lente, make haste slowly. <laughs> Very slow. That is not the way we work in New York, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, no, I was always working on school papers, and I was always interested in politics and the church and culture. And and so um, when I was in college at the Catholic University of America in Washington, which I went to because it was Catholic, and it was in the nation's capital, um, I had an internship at the Heritage Foundation, a conservative think tank there, and I, there was a job opening while I was still in college, which I do not recommend that college students do, but it worked out for me, um, at National Review, where I've been working for like 25 years now. And, um, and uh, I actually wanted to go to grad school, and, um, but I realized very early on that I could get paid to ask questions. And so um, <laughs> I've been doing that ever since. <laughs> and um, it's a great blessing to have a platform where you can communicate true things and highlight good things. That's something I like to do a lot. You know, the, there's this controversial Texas abortion law, for instance. And so mm -hmm. what I try to do with that is to focus on um, the alternatives to abortion that exist out there and the people who are really working on the front lines. And one of the reasons I'm glad to be here is, you know, I can I can tell people about the good work that you're doing and the, and the, the tremendous students I've, I've met and their mature questions. And, and one, one of the students in the upper classes asked me, how to live Christ's love in the world. That's not a question a lot of high school students ask. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, no, I just, I love to be able to have a platform where I can, I can highlight the good, true, and the beautiful. Yeah, I know our students very much enjoyed our, their time with you. Um, your work as a reporter and asking questions, but then also piecing together uh, facts and details into something that's actually true Right. So not just reporting facts, but also like giving truth, authoring, offering truth is something we teach our students to do uh, passionately. I mean, rhetoric is something that we as we strive for here, we encourage here. And so I know for our students to have someone who's so active in that and engaging in all these issues in in the world from a perspective of faith was very meaningful for them, for sure, because this is a this is one of the founding goals of this school was to engage in the world uh, with our faith and in the public square. One of the upper grade students was asking me afterward, I had said something about mercy, and when you're talking about controversial issues, um, so-called so neuralgic issues that really hit at deep um, wounds in people and passions, and um, and he said, so, so how do you be merciful when you're debating somebody? And... Um, and it was just such a beautiful question because he was talking about how, yeah, he doesn't want... He doesn't want to encourage people to sin, you know, by being angry or ridiculing. And that's exactly the approach that we need to be taking so much of the world today. You know, if you, you watch the news or if you're on social media or, um, and thanks be to God, most of the students here are not on social media, um, uh, you hear so much anger and so much hostility and so much dismissal of people and hatred of people and, and, um, to be able to be educated in a way where you respect other people and that you're, you're living a life where hopefully you would go out into the world and bring that respect for one another to people who don't have the same beliefs. And I'm sure, you know, many of us have that in our own families. We don't have to travel very far mm -hmm. <laughs> to encounter that. Yeah. And we, we always want to be God's light in these conversations, um, which can be very difficult when they're very, very contentious issues. But we have to be. We have to be light in the world. That's what we're told to do, you know. 
Absolutely. And I observed, well, two things that I want to put before you and I would love to hear your thoughts on. One, um, it's really easy, you know, to, to feel vulnerable and to feel attacked and, and to feel, well, it's, it's a lot easier to make an enemy out of someone um, because you don't have to take accountability or responsibility. Um, so it's, it seems so easy to be hurt Mm. By by different viewpoints and different perspectives, or offended, mm-hmm. or offended, or, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, unless unless you're really grounded, unless mm-hmm. uh, your dignity is something you receive as gift. And mm-hmm. you spoke a lot about the Holy Spirit as you were talking to our students about how to have these meaningful conversations. Mm. So, I'd love to hear from you your thoughts on be being rooted in our dignity coming from God, but also being not confident in ourselves, but in our receptivity to the Holy Spirit. Right, right. Well, one of the, I was asked to give advice to the debaters who were debating on, on Friday, I think. Um, and um, one of the things I said when I'm going into an interview, especially when I have no idea, you know, a radio interview or something, where the person is coming from or what might come up, I just pray to the Holy Spirit because I've definitely been in situations where I thought it was going to be, you know, an easy interview and as much as just, yeah, matter of fact. And um, it's somebody sort of lashes out at the faith or something. And I didn't see that coming. So after that, the first time it happened, I'm like, all right, you, you get yourself protected before you walk in. And, and, and anything that good and true that is said that maybe touches someone's heart, that's going to be the Holy Spirit. It's not going to be me. And so I try to get out of the way and not have like pride involved. And I, I, I hope I've gotten gotten out of that. You know, we're human beings, so sometimes we slip back into it. But I've just seen so many times where someone will come up to me after I've written a column or, yeah, done an interview or something, and it, it, it touched them in ways that I had nothing to do with. Like, God knew they needed to hear that. I didn't know that. And so, um, yeah, no, I've just, I, I, I hope increasingly trust the Holy Spirit, and I think that's the only way to go. And the other thing, I'll go back to Greenwich Village and St. Joseph's Church again. Um, a couple of months ago, I was I was lingering after mass praying, and um, you know we have to lock our churches in, in in New York a lot because something like this will happen. So two women walked in and were screaming obscenities and um, sort of out of nowhere, and um, a priest was in the back and and she starts screaming at him and saying all these awful things and. And um, and she there was there was a poor box that like dates back to the 1800s or something and and she threw it on the floor and it was this awful sound on marble and she broke it and um, and so anyway she finally leaves and um, the two of them finally leave and I said to the the nice priest who he's a good priest he had heard my confession so many times I was so grateful to him I said I'm so sorry and he looked at me and he said. Jesus dealt with a whole lot more than that. <laughs> and that's the perspective. I mean, that's how you keep from feeling like a victim, you know? Yeah. I was I was really moved. I, I was in New Orleans um, a couple days ago, and I moved to Baton Rouge and, and, and then this Lafayette area. And um, so I saw, I saw some of the New Orleans devastation. I was at a school where the ceiling was ripped off, and, you know, they haven't been able to use the gymnasium, but thanks be to God, they, they've been able to use the classrooms, and... And um, so I've been asking people, like, you know, it's tough to live in 
New Orleans, isn't it? And I saw a lot of the devastation on the on the way to Baton Rouge and lots of trees down and all the rest. And um, to a person, you know, it's like there are more challenging things. We all have our crosses. I trust God. I love, you know, this is where my family is. A lot of gratitude where people could feel like victims. And I, I also saw a lot of resilience. Like St. Stephen's Church in um, New Orleans is the one on Napoleon Avenue where the, the roof was ripped off. And um, the principal and the and the pastor were texting each other as they were getting videos that people were showing them of the the school, um, and uh, and both of them like immediately declared to one another, "We're going to build it back better." You know, they're dedicated to these kids and they're dedicated to being there. You know. Um, mm-hmm. 90% of their, their uh, student population is black. Most of them are poor. They came out of failing public schools. These schools are lifesavers. And I, I was just struck by the resilience and the confidence and, yeah, the, the, the very opposite of victimhood. Right. Yeah, I love how what you're talking about in the story you just told and the examples you were giving of your own experience, there's a great levity and lightness that comes when we don't have to be the one uh-huh, uh-huh. that is in control or that that has to be the source of, of the change. The, I don't know. And it's like totally opposite of American culture where mm. we're like self-reliant and the Protestant work right. ethic and it's about success. And, you know, we know that it's not about success. It's about being faithful, right? Right. And I said to the debate kids, I know you want to win, but, you know, you want to win being a decent truthful person who touches somebody's heart, you know, more than winning. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of our families today, um, even in this community, there's this maybe lack of a sense of adequacy to actually do the family thing well. Mm. So, for example, we have a lot of families in our community that maybe they converted to the faith later in life. So they didn't grow up, you know, going to Catholic school. Or if they did, they didn't pay close attention. They didn't grow up maybe caring about their faith too much. And then later in life, even after they had their kids, something happens, they go on a retreat or they lose a loved one and they they make that change. And now they want to give their children something they never really had, which is a childhood in the faith, right? Like a childhood mm-hmm. away from the world and its pressures and growing in the church. But this sense of not being, you know, feeling up to the task right. to get that done. What would, what would you say to parents like that? That God gives us the grace. You know, I know it's easier said than done, but, um, you know, you're in this place for a reason. And I think that, you know, one of the things I do is spiritual direction. And I often see how, like, God is just inviting people to just trust him, to just surrender to him. You know, you have the gift of being able to have your child at the school or your children at the school. And you know, that's a gift to you as much as it's a gift to your children. And there's no need to feel inadequate because we all have different sets of knowledge and different experiences, but God has us all here right now and we can learn from one another. And I think one of the, one of the blessings of a school like this, where you're constantly getting, your child is going home with materials and there are opportunities like um, this, the Saturday night opportunity we had to have a conversation together with parents um, you know, those those are ways that we can learn together with the children. The community can learn together. And even just being able to take some of the materials that your children have and discuss them with, with them. Um, you know, I, I know a lot of you do that. And I would just encourage you to not feel inadequate about it because we're, 
we're all in this world together, learning together. And, and I know, I mean, I'm constantly learning things from other people and I love to keep doing that. And, and whenever I do that, I do appreciate how much I don't know or how much I've forgotten to, you know, (laughs) the older we get, the more we forget, (laughs) as many of you may know. And, um, and yeah, so just to be, be, be humble and, you know, don't, don't expect more from yourself than God is expecting from you, you know? Um, yeah, no, I think one of our biggest challenges in America is this perfectionist streak. You know, God God wants us to be perfect in him, not, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, producing yeah. some kind of, yeah, unrealistic perfection that we're never going to reach, you know? Yeah, that pride is so debilitating. It is, it is. Believe me, I know it. <laughs> and it's a deadly sin, as I'm always reminding myself. <laughs> and the pride thing, you know, sometimes I think we think of pride as like we think we're the biggest, you know, the hottest thing or whatever, smartest. But no, it's this self-reliance where right. I think like right. I'm supposed to be God or the Savior, you know. No, none of us are supposed to be. You know, keeping your eye on the cross like that priest did, you know. He could have felt sorry for himself. He was just called all these awful names. And instead he's like, no, like... It's actually an honor to suffer with Jesus, to participate in the passion. It's hard to see it that way, but he did it. And so, like, if you can share a little bit of it and unite it to him, I mean, that's the key part of it. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it's just sort of pious talk. But you can actually, like, see, oh, yeah, I see how Christ, yeah, is close to me in this. And Yeah, yeah it's, well, it's the highest beatitude, isn't it? Right. Yeah. Well, I think you're touching on something important, too, is that when we talk about engaging in the public square with our faith, or engaging with the important issues of our time. As Catholics, we do this in a very unique way, because we're not just debaters wanting to win a debate. We're not just uh, politicians vying for power, but we're witnessing to someone. We're witnessing to Christ as He is true, and the truth of the human person created in, in His image and likeness. And so there's really this unique Catholic confidence that we can have, even when it seems like the other side has it all together, they have more money, they have more whatever, we know who wins the day in the end, right? And so there's a certain confidence available to us that is very unique. Yeah, and I think, of course, you know, again, with the self-reliance and the worldly stuff, like we can see some headlines in the news and things, scandals, and, and you know, maybe feel a sense of shame or maybe even doubt or a lack of confidence. And I remember years ago, um, my my late friend, Kate O'Byrne, who worked with me at National Review, there there was a scandal that had hit the news involving a priest and, and a woman. And, and we knew these people. And mm. it was just sort of devastating. And she came into my office and she said, Catherine, this is just further evidence of the existence of God. That the church goes on despite us. You know, there are always going to be people who sin, who fall, who do evil. Um, we obviously, that's not what we aspire to, but there's original sin and we have free will. And to be able to have the confidence in Christ, Christ is the church. It's not the people and the mistakes we make and the crimes we commit and all, all of the rest. Um, you know, it is Christ. It's the, the catechism. I was staying I've been staying with a family from the school and at dinner time and they got little kids like you know so many of you have and they're screaming and they're hard to get them <laughs> to sit down and everybody's just like please just sit down for 
one minute, you know. <laughs> um, they they read the, the gospel of the day. One of the older children will read the gospel of the day. And some of the kids aren't paying attention, but they're there, you know. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, doing little things like that where they're not going to be perfect. You know, if you have little kids, it's never going to look perfect. But mm-hmm. to just to have have that around, you know, and something as simple as the gospel um, or to pray, like I was praying the other day with with the little ones. They pray a decade of the rosary in the in the morning. It doesn't have to be the entire rosary. It doesn't have to be um, a huge production. Just like this is what we do at dinner time or whatever it is. Um, I think that that helps with a confidence in the faith. Where you know I see sometimes. I remember a story. I was on Capitol Hill. There was some event for some reason. I was hanging around the security, and I noticed that people kept taking um, rosaries out of their pockets because you have to go through, you know, a security thing like at the airport. And so they're taking their rosaries out. And, and so, and it wasn't a religious event or anything. I think it was on religious persecution, but not everyone was religious. And there were different faiths too. And, and so I asked one of the security guards, I'm like, do you see this a lot? And he's like, yeah. Now, I don't think everybody's praying the rosary. Some of them, it may just be like a nostalgic thing or, you know, their mom gave them that rosary or whatever it is. But there, there's some remnant of faith there. There's something still there that could, yeah, that could rise to the surface at any mm-hmm. point. Um, and so sometimes I know one of the greatest fears that parents often have is that their children may leave school and, and that will be the end of their faith. Yeah. Well, if you've had a lot around, if you've had the faith around them, at least there's that foundation. And God gives us free will. And so there may be children who fall away for a time or... Um, but we, you know, they're, they're, one of one of my friends um, who's actually evangelical. She has um, she has four. She and her husband have four children who were adopted, and they all have severe mental illness issues and trauma and all these other things. And that's a grueling thing for any of you. You know, being a parent is hard um, in any circumstance. But if you've got mental illness, if you've got trauma, and the only thing that brings her peace is the certainty that. These children are God's more than they're hers. You know, these are gifts mm. from God who she and her husband are, are, are stewards of, but they're God's children. And um, so, yeah, I know the, the world can be very, very scary and what you're going to send them out to. And um, but um, but they're God's children and, you know, God has a plan for them and you can only <laughs> do your best <laughs> in Christ with the Trinity and Mary and. And, you know, trust them to, to his mercy and, and providence. And I love that. Yeah, connected to some of the other things you were saying, um, confidence in ourselves tends to produce that victim mentality, but mm-hmm. we don't have to be confident in right. ourselves. We have every reason not to be. Yeah, I'm not confident in myself. I'm confident <laughs> in God. <laughs> and I ask the Holy Spirit to get me out of the way, basically. <laughs> well, it seems like a lot of us might feel like Maybe we didn't check all the boxes that needed to be checked to accomplish said task, like raise the saint or whatever. But it seems like there's kind of only one big box, and, and that's just to not say no, right? Like to not refuse right. God anything, like right. is the way Mother Teresa put it, right? Like this commitment to never say no to God, and then He's going to take care of all that, right? It's, right. And it, and um, yeah, and and I guess in your line of work too. Um, you often, like you're describing a situation on Capitol Hill, but I'm sure there's often situations where it's either a David and Goliath feel or it's like, a, I really don't know how this is going to turn out feel. Oh, like, totally. And, and there's a lot of just saying, okay, well, 
Holy Spirit, I, I just don't want to say no to you. I, sometimes I got to be bold and open my mouth. Sometimes I got to stand my ground. And sometimes I just got to watch it unfold, right? Right, but, right. But in real time, it's that kind of openness to the Holy Spirit and God's guidance um, and just not saying no to Him. Yeah, and I find myself constantly surprised in the best of ways, sometimes in other ways. But <laughs> I remember one example would be I do a lot of um, work on um, adoption and foster care as part of pro-life um, work. And um, I was hosting a, um, a morning conference after the National Catholic Prayer Breakfast in Washington on, on adoption and foster care. And in the front row was a man from the Cato Institute, a libertarian think tank in Washington, who is gay and married to a man and has an adoptive child. And I didn't, at first I didn't know what the conversation was going to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and he came up to me and he said, thank you for doing this. You know, we have a lot of religious freedom issues with adoption and foster care. There was a big Supreme Court case um, in Philadelphia last year, earlier this year. And he said to me, we need the Catholic Church in in this area doing adoption and foster care. Now, of course, he doesn't believe what the Catholic Church believes about marriage and family, but he knows that children need more choices, not less. And so he will defend our right to religious freedom to say, no, we're not going to place with gay couples. Um, and that that is that is freedom. That's defending people's yeah. freedom. We're not going to agree on everything, but I also feel like at this point in history adults aren't going to figure out all their differences in the near term and mm-hmm. there are children who need help. So whatever we need to do in a pluralistic society to make sure those kids need help. So I was so inspired by, by Walter Olson being in the front row and we've done things together um, since then. So sometimes you're just surprised. Like I didn't know, I didn't know what was going to happen in that conference. If anybody would even come and it was packed and I was surprised by some of the people who showed up because I just expected, you know, people who work in chanceries and, mm-hmm. you know, just Catholic people from across the country would be there. But it was a mix of people. And I, that was an example of I didn't really know what I was doing. I had gotten some grant money from a group that I don't always agree with, but they were letting me do my thing. And it, it's an example of just like, yeah, say get, yes to God, and I'm not completely sure where this is going to go. <laughs> yeah. But if you actually put it in his hands, like you might be super surprised with what what he comes up with, you know? Yeah. And it's amazing how if you don't make room uh, for God to work in your life, it's hard to be confident in God. So mm-hmm. it, right. it kind of seems like a, a great cycle of give God a chance to work and grow in confidence because you gave God a chance to work. I always remember um, that G.K. Chesterton line about what's wrong with the world. That's me. Like, we're always <laughs> sitting around like, oh, all of these things are wrong in the world. And we could all make a litany of, of all the things wrong in the world. But at the end of the day, you're only, you only have power over your choices. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so, yeah, surrendering to God and super practical level. There's a prayer from the Sisters of Life, and a lot of your students seem to know who the Sisters of Life are. They're yeah. a religious mm-hmm. community that that takes the fourth vow to protect the sacredness of human life. And, but they have this great prayer, the Litany of Trust, and you can get it on their website. I might leave some copies. I always have copies in my bag at the school. Um, and um, anyway, I would totally pray that prayer if you don't know that prayer. It's all about trusting God, and, and it's... Um, it's both a very difficult and consoling prayer because when you see some of these things on the prayer, you realize, 
oh, I'm not the only one who struggles with that. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, no, it's probably universal that with with which you are struggling today. Um, so it's to, good to know that we're not alone, and that we, of course, have Jesus who is really actually trustworthy. Yeah, he's proven himself, right? Yeah, he has. <laughs> Better than anyone. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, man, I'm so sad to say we're running out of time here, but I, I want to give you kind of the last word to our parents here. Um, we had a great night Saturday night, and your time with our students was was great. And, uh, you know, your story, your personal work, your vocation really resonates with the spirit of this place because we were founded on these ideas, you know, this idea that faith belongs in the public square, the idea that um, even though the world is seems to be falling apart, we don't have to be falling apart. Like we can stand up for the right. truth, and that it's possible to be a joyful witness in all that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and so uh, you know, I just love for you to to speak to our heart, right? Your mm-hmm. heart to our heart, um, and just kind of encourage us because sometimes it's it's difficult. This mission it takes fundraiser after fundraiser. It takes um, event after event. It takes tuition payment after tuition payment. It takes, for some of us, demerit after demerit. (laughs) Like Mm. there's, there's, it's a slow crawl to get this work done, um, but a worthy work, right? Yeah, it's the most important work in the world. You know, I, um, I'm often struck by how people, especially if you watch a lot of TV and watch the news on your phone or whatever it is, if you're paying hyper attention to the news or even a little attention to the news sometimes (laughs) you can get really discouraged and feel super powerless um you're not powerless um you know the in new york we i can't remember what the news story was but the new york daily news said had like on the cover god's not listening your prayers aren't working wow because evil still existed in the world well, the fact that you have a 24-7 perpetual adoration chapel means that you know that prayers mean something. And actually, most important work we can do, because we can't love correctly, we can't, you can't do anything um, in Christ if we're not praying, right? So first of all, thank you for praying. <laughs> um, but the work that you're doing as parents, as teachers, the most important work in the world. I have a friend who came up to me. She's in Washington. She's an activist type. Her husband used to be in Congress, and and um, one of her younger children um, needs more help than some of the older children did. And so um, she has to be sort of constantly attentive. And she's used to doing big things in the world, you know, policy things. And um, abortion is a, is a big thing. Um, you know, she's a pro-life activist. And there's the Supreme Court case coming up. And so she just, she was, she was saying to me, like, I really want to do so much, but I can't because my daughter, who I love so much, needs me. Well, she knows. And she said to me a couple of days later, her daughter, that's the most important work. And our world can make us feel like that's not the most important work. You know, I know in Washington, you know, often if if a, a wife goes with a husband to an event, you know, um, the question will be, what do you do? Well, I just stay at home. There's no such thing as staying at home. <laughs> you know, raising children is the most important work in the world. And 
the fact that you make sacrifices to make sure that your child is at an amazing school like John Paul the Great Academy is um, is just a, a great blessing for them. It's a great yes to God, and so yeah, you are <laughs> you are doing amazing things. And do you know that there's there's somebody in New York praying for you and your family? And and um, thank you for the opportunity to to be here and talk with you again. Awesome. Well, this has been great. It has. Thank you so much. I'm so happy that we got to spend time with you. You got to spend mm-hmm. time with our students and our parents. It's yeah, and as I said to some of the students, you can you can contact me, the school officials, and know who I am, and you can Google me too on uh, Catherine Jean Lopez at National Review. Nice. So if we end up in New York City, we can swing by the New Adoration Chapel soon. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Pray will be there when you get there next summer. <laughs> if you're ever in Louisiana again, come to John Paul the Great Academy. I will. Believe me, I will. <laughs> All right, well, thanks for joining us for Le Bon V, Catherine Lopez, Mr. Calabrado. I'm Deacon Adam Conk. See you next time. Keep living the good life. Vive Le Bon V. Bon.